Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. And joining us on the panel this morning out of the Hawke's Bay, uh, the sunny Hawke's Bay, Hamish Bidwell. How are you, Hamish? It's grey, mate, which is good because I've got to go and cover some cricket tonight and I don't really want to. I'd rather have a beer, so <laughs> look, I could get fish. <laughs> I was going to say next Wednesday you've got a uh, an ODI there. What's the, the, the We know what's going to happen on Wednesday, don't we, in Napier? Oh, you put me on the spot. Who's playing? Uh, the White Ferns in Bangladesh. Yeah, I think I'll give that a miss. I have no idea what the weather's doing, and good luck to them. Yeah. <laughs> good luck to them, indeed. Also joining us out of the capital, Daniel McCarty. G'day, mate. How are you? Morning, Rick Dog. Good to speak to you. And bitters, it's been too long. Far too. Far too long. I tell you, boys, I had a, I had a multi the other day. You, uh, you won't believe this. First leg of the multi. Uh, I, I know you're both Wellington fans, uh, or Wellington originally, uh, and I had your Firebirds up against Canterbury. I had Rutch and Ravindra off the back of his century uh, last game out to be top scorer. And uh, he went out for 14. He was the first wicket down. And then you were, and I was like, oh, that's me toast. Uh, but, but then the mighty Firebirds collapsed, and uh, at the end of the day, Rutch and Ravindra was the top scorer for Wellington on, on, on 14 runs. I was, I was still alive. That is magnificent. But but as has uh, covered a few Wellington collapses over the years. Um, uh, we're, we're quite used to them in these parts. Yes, indeed. Uh, gentlemen, well, let... I was told I used to call them because I was such a negative bastard. I think that's absolutely <laughs> over. <laughs> I'll, I'll ask Grant on Saturday, Hamish, shall I? You know the answer. Oh, please don't because I know his answer, but cheers. Yeah, oh, boys, uh, too good, too good. Hey, uh, how much of a cell phone uh, have Cricket Australia created? Around this David Warner situation, like you know, they, I, my initial reaction was when David Warner threw his toys out because they wanted to have a a, a public hearing on it. That I was like, well, how guilty are you, and what else don't we know? Uh, but now I, I think we're starting to find out some of the things we didn't know, like uh, claiming that Cricket Australia uh, administrators were telling the team to do ball temper and do whatever it takes to win Hamish. I think we knew that. Um... I can remember an Ashes test in Perth where they got it to go reverse after 30 overs. and Stuart Broad was going, well, how are they achieving that? Like, the reverse swing bowling since the sandpaper thing has basically left the game, and it's left the game because we're not allowing people to cheat, as Warner was cheating, and everyone knows it, and it was an orchestrated campaign and tactic, and the bowlers would go, oh, I don't know, I just, they just handed me the ball, I don't know anything about it, and... So there's a few strains to that. So, like, let's be fair. There was ball tampering, and if they want to expose that, then great. I don't doubt they had the stomach for it. The other part is the Warners themselves, who are the greatest crow bullies going. Like, he's lucky to be playing international cricket at all, let alone, in his own mind, be considered to be the captain of Australia. That's laughable. And I don't want to hear from him, and I don't want to hear from his wife. And if his manager wants to pipe up and, and throw a few stones, then chuck all the stones. Do you know what I mean? Be a man and, and tell it. Don't, don't, don't make us cry river on David's behalf because he's the most unsympathetic character I can imagine. And, you know, if we want to be fed income, cool. Do bull tampering, but I don't want to hear from the Warners. 
No, I, I'm with you on that. I I got uh, that impression of them after the Phil Hughes incident, uh, Daniel, when Phil Hughes passed away and he, I don't know how much money he made, all the, all the Warners made, selling that story to 60 Minutes where he cried on camera for about an hour uh, and talked about how horrible and terrible it was. And then the very next series, he's telling people, session one, I'm going to break your arm. Um, oh, I had no time for the bloke after after that. What's your experience well, been? threatened to break someone's arm. Well, I think he was. Uh, Warner was vice captain and at the heart of all of it, though, wasn't he? Yeah, I, 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 I'm going to be the dissenting voice here. What, what, what did David Warner do wrong in the eyes of the ICC? They, they ball tampered, right? Yep. Um, I don't think anyone can argue that. Um, the absolute laughable um, attempted cover-up in the immediate aftermath was pathetic and probably exacerbated matters. But does the punishment really fit the crime? Um, the ICC's match suspensions for uh, ball tampering at the time for a, were a couple of games. In all honesty, should someone receive a life ban for something of, of that? That's something I've always struggled with. I just don't like the idea of life bans as a rule. Uh, Steve Smith's a great example. He was in the wilderness. He was able to, to, through acts of contrition, to work his way back into that realm. Now, has David Warner done enough of that? That I think we can question. Um, is he the right man for the job at 36 years of age? I, I think that is a, a, a point we can argue. But it doesn't sit overly comfortably with me banning a guy from for life, essentially, for something that is pretty widespread and, according to the rules of the game, uh, doesn't come more than a, a couple of weeks banned. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, they're not banning him from cricket. They're just banning him from being the captain. And I don't have an issue with that because a lot of the, uh, a lot that came out of uh, that on top of not only the ball tampering was how much of a bully in the dressing room David Warner was. Yeah, yeah, and that's fair. And, and um, uh, that, that, could, that could certainly be played out in a, um, a suspension more like Steve Smith, I'll repeat, who was only banned for a couple of years before being welcomed back in. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I have little sympathy, though, uh, for them overall. Um, as Hamish did point out, how on earth did others not go down with the ship? Uh, is this just big as belief. What, you're going to tamper a ball and not tell the bowlers? Um, <laughs> I, I think they should have come out in unison as a team. So, yeah, we're all involved and probably all cop a couple of weeks suspension. And I think um, now in 2022 would be far, far... Um, far down the road from this rather than opening old wounds. And uh, I'm not sure the manager of David Warner coming out and accusing unnamed people in Cricket Australia, unnamed, uh, um, for encouraging them to ball tamp is going to help things. It's just going to make this uh, the story for the days to come. And Australia, at what, in a powerful position in a test match, no one's going to talk about that game as a result. No, you're not wrong there. I, I guess the big question, Hamish, is are Mitre 10 going to include sandpaper in their beach cricket sets again uh, this Christmas? Well, these are good questions. Um, I'd like to know what's on Craig Brathwaite's hands, um, the West Indies captain. I mean, just, yeah, like Warner had his hands taped up for years. The whole idea with them formalising a band for him was silly. Like, we can... There are lots of people and lots of codes with never to be captain penciled in next to their name because they're unsuitable for a variety of reasons. And he's one of those dudes, you know. Like, you don't bowl up to Rohit Sharma in an ODI in Sydney and say, hey, mate, you speak English here. Speak English. Like, that's just offensive. And you can't have, in a, in a position where some diplomacy is required and some statesmanship is required, a, a sort of a, a bogan, if I can put it that way, like David Warner in charge, that just embarrasses everyone. Mm, yeah, 100%. 100%, gentlemen. 
he's not captaincy material, 100%, right? I think we're all in agreement of that. Mm-hmm. But they have given him uh, a place to argue by banning him for life. You uh, t- because it sounds pretty draconian, doesn't it, fellas? You can't do it ever, no matter what you do from here on in. I'm not, I'm not sure um, you know, uh, that, that's the greatest uh, idea with regards to seeking some form of rehabilitation because they wanted to change how they went about it. They, they wanted to sort of bring about some sort of positive change. And, and to his credit, he's kept pretty quiet over the last couple of years. Um, I'm sure the, the burning David Warner is on the inside wanting to come out, but hasn't. No, I wonder whether or not we will get a... Well, I don't wonder, I know we'll get a book. It'll just be interesting to see what's actually in the book and uh, how much of a martyr he is when he uh, finally hangs up the bat. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Twenty-seven away from eleven, Hamish Bidwell and Daniel McCarty with us on the panel today. And uh, gentlemen, yesterday uh, we saw the uh, unveiling of Dame Patsy Reddy as the first female New Zealand rugby chair. What was your reaction to her naming, Daniel? Sorry, I was just being invaded by two little rugrats, uh, Ricardo. Um, completely missed the question. Uh, that's that. all right. No, no, I was just uh, saying the appointment of Dame Patsy Reddy as the first female chair of New Zealand rugby. What was your take on that? What was your reaction when you heard that news? Well, uh, I probably had more of a reaction when she was initially appointed back in, uh, what, eight, eight, nine months ago, if I'm not mistaken, to the board itself. But it is a big step up. Uh, and this uh, person just reeks of competency. Uh, if, if you look at her career path, of course, former former Governor-General, um, lawyer, partner of a law firm, you know, hold multiple directorships in her career, chaired, um, uh, what, New Zealand Film Commission, chief negotiator, the Treaty of Waitangi. Uh, we've also seen what major review of intelligence agencies, uh, which I think could quite come in quite handy because I haven't seen much intelligence on the executive of uh, uh, New Zealand rugby uh, in recent times. Um, whether or not she has massive sway, only time is going to tell, but... Uh, if you're looking solely at a CV, um, you can't pick too many holes in it, can you? You can't. I don't think you can. And it'd be interesting. I wouldn't have thought somebody like her, with her background and her CV, as you mentioned, is going to is going to take this role if she can't affect some sort of change. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Hamish, uh, where are you on that? Mate, I rolled my eyes. To be fair, like once upon a time, I'd have been like euphoric. Well, you know, I would have. Some of the people I was working for like the sort of a, a woke line of thinking, and I would have said this is an amazing step forward. Um, I know I argued for Bailey Mackey rather than Stuart Mitchell last time around, but you know, when I get emails from people at NZR who are a he, him, or a them, they, like I just, and we've got like this diverse leadership group and we've got more diversity targets to meet, like let's pick a proper coach, let's get some decent results. Like, I don't care how diverse they are, I don't care all the boxes they tick, I don't care what rainbows that they, whatever that they're buddy achieving like i just want a proper coach and some proper rugby and i just all this other stuff this virtue signaling nonsense is one of the things that to me is is, is making the game or at least the all blacks a laughing stock like i just i'm a rugby fan most people are rugby fans and we have to sort of opine about who we think is the right governance people who gives us i don't care but i just want them to get the right things done and they can be as diverse as they want and as inclusive as they want. But it comes down to what happens on Sundays. And what happens on Sundays, to my thinking, is pretty mediocre. Are you... uh, those questions more about the executive, though, Hamish, rather than the board? We're talking about the chairperson of the board. Um, yeah, but they pick well, these I, I, people, I don't, don't they? Like, fair income. Virtue signalling, is she? Or, or have I misinterpreted that? We have got 
a deputy chairman who's Māori, a deputy chairman who's female Māori, and we've got a woman for the first time as chairman of the board. These aren't things done on, to me, competence. They're done on virtue signalling. And I don't think that most rugby fans are that bothered about it or care about it. And good luck to them. But these are the people charged with appointing coaches and CEOs and management staff that dictate the direction of the game. And they can be as woke as they like, but they aren't winning many games. On that... I'll go back to the point of, isn't that more about the executive? Mark Robinson and his crew make will be still the king makers on that front. And the board essentially ratifies it, doesn't it? They're going to take guidance from the executive, and I, and I think that the, sh- the light should be on the executive. You can't hide behind COVID anymore. Uh, you, you, you've got to get your ship in order. It was a sorry year, to say the least. And uh, already months and months out, uh, uh, who, who has fears that they're going to sort of blunder the next coach appointment, um, a bit like last time around, when they ask people to um, apply with their... Uh, with the ideal assistant coaches. I don't know one sporting organisation in the world, a high-functioning uh, professional one, um, that uh, gets people to apply for a head coaching role. Generally, you go out, you identify who's the best, and you do everything in your powers to get the team that you want. Well, I did wonder whether or not, you know, the cynic in me, Hamish, uh, whether or not, you know, the timing of this was quite uh, convenient, shall we say, for Mark Robinson and co, given the heat they're getting over um, who's going to be coaching the All Blacks post-2024, given uh, how much of a dog's breakfast they made of it last time. Good on you. Oh, I didn't give it that much thought. I don't really... Oh, look, man, I don't know. Like, you're asking me to come on this and, and express an opinion and a really an honest truth. I don't really care. You know what I mean? Like, I just... There's not a lot I really actually do care about in the world. I know that Brent Impey thought he ran New Zealand rugby when he was the chairman, and I doubt that Dame Patsy really probably thinks that she's going to run it, but maybe she will. But in terms of a smoke screen, I don't know. Like... The Robertson thing appalls me, and it has appalled me for years, but like that's just the way they run it. You know, they're, they're a company man company, and Foster's a good company man, and I don't know who they've got on earth as the next company man. Maybe they'll get Schmidt to step up, but, you know, someone like Razor, who could potentially have an international gas, like that would be a disastrous for them because they're just so image conscious. I don't know what they're going to do. Is it a smokescreen? I doubt it, and I don't care. Mm. All right. Well, let's move on there. Let's talk FIFA World Cup. Of course, we've got the quarterfinals coming up, uh, but that has been overshadowed uh, once again with some off-field stuff, Daniel. Nasser al Qatar is under fire for comments after, you know, uh, apparently the, uh, only three people died in building the uh, World Cup stadium, but uh, shock horror, we've had one die during the tournament. Uh, he said that uh, death is just part of life and uh, people shouldn't uh, over-politicise it. So three three people was their initial line prior to the tournament. About a week into the tournament, they actually uh, changed that number, didn't they, mm. uh, Ricardo, and elevated it up substantially to uh, better reflect the actual um, horror of building these stadiums. So I know they've... Um, had a merry dance song and dance about yeah, the changes to uh, employment law for, for migrant workers, which conveniently came about after the stadiums had been built. Um, you know, timing was perfect on that. I'm not sure if you've actually played the clip to the audience, uh, uh, Ricardo, but the tone, it's the tone um, for which Nassau Qatar speaks in. So how dare you ask um, about this? Uh, inconvenient death, which I, I'm pretty sure, and please correct me if I've got this wrong, occurred at the Saudi Arabian team facility. Mm-hmm. So it was actually 
Um, on a FIFA World Cup um, area, um, he uses an air quotation marks, and I would have thought uh, something on the lines of sharing your condolences straight away and actually talking about, hey, we are going to figure out what exactly happened and make sure um, this does not happen again. But it, it seemed more about how very dare you actually ask me about this. Just look, there's football over there. You can't have it both ways. No, you can't have it both ways. They've tried to sports wash this, Hamish, but it seems to be backfiring. I mean, there is more focus on this than there is just about anything else, and uh, they just make it seem to make it worse and worse for themselves. Yeah, I think the outrage is at least 10 years too late. Like, fair income disgraced that yeah. the tournament's there in the first place, and there's just, there's just nothing prior or since that makes me enthused about the tournament and that's a shame because I like football and I certainly like World Cups It's sometimes I'm here at work my son watches a bit in the morning but I I'm turned off by all this corruption at FIFA and, and, and the shady way that, that countries are given hosting rights and there was never any justification whatsoever for Qatar on any level being a host and we all anecdotally know about things that have happened there or we all read things that have happened there and you know to be outraged now, it's, it's a bit late in the piece because, I mean, we should have been outraged to the extent that it wasn't allowed to be staged there in the first place. Mm, yeah, 100%. We have been outraged at FIFA for a generation. FIFA just does not change. FIFA is a rule until itself. It's a kingdom until itself. And they're not going to change, uh, are they? Uh, it, it does seem. And we're all going to be cynical about every appointment uh, going forward and have huge doubts about it. As far as, is, is this overshadowing the World Cup, Ricardo, I, I would... I would say no. Um, I think this is a Western media, Western world uh, issue. I, I think if if you speak to people in other parts of the globe, um, I, I think Qatar are getting their way and they uh, are just focusing on the football. Hey, it's interesting, man, the dynamic of this, because I know that uh, uh, something that happened recently, uh, about a year ago, is that uh, UEFA and Comnibol uh, set up their own combined office in London and I think, if anything, that's a shot across FIFA's bowels because neither uh, Comnibold nor UEFA are particularly happy with FIFA or Infantino. I mean, I can see a time when, you know, Europe and South America go, well, you know, you can have your FIFA, but you're not going to have our, our teams. And they just break away and do their own thing. And then, I mean, that'll really torpedo FIFA because they, they won't have the best teams in the world, Hamish. Um, again, like... I'm I'm a runs and wickets, goals and tries man. Do you know what I mean? Like the governance side of game of sport and corruption and political game playing in the background, it's not it's not really what I spend my time thinking about. Mm. And what about you, Daniel? I mean, is that something that when that uh, got set up, they had that Argentina versus Italy game recently, which was the first thing that those two did as part of this new partnership. Is is that something that's crossed your mind? The final Missy O or something like that. It was mm. called. It was dreadfully named competition, so they need to actually figure that out. But if you just look at um, where all the nations are for the World Cup uh, quarterfinals, would it be seven of eight? Seven of eight um, would theoretically be involved in that, but um, uh, I'm a little bit of a hypocrite. I I jump up and down about all these things, and once the tournament uh, tends to start, I tend to focus on uh, the goals, uh, the free kicks. And I must admit, I'm, I'm, you know, more intrigued about can the Dutch upset Argentina? Why are English fans and so many pundits down on England and giving them no chance? Uh, I find that uh, hilarious. So, um, you know, you know, criticise me if you will, but um, I'm probably looking at the quarterfinals. Well, gentlemen, thanks very much for coming on today. Enjoy, uh, enjoyed your time on the panel, and uh, look forward to talking to you again. Enjoy your weekends, Hamish Daniel. Thank you. 